Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Liz Mitchell and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 17th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone and yay, we are back in the studios of WFHB. And it's also fun drive time at the station, and that means it's your opportunity to demonstrate your support of Bring It On, and ultimately, WFHB. Liz, can you believe it's been close to 18 years? It's, no. I mean, (laughs) you're just as youthful and wonderful looking as always, but I mean, my gosh, I have some gray somewhere. I mean, but 18 years? Oh, I, I remember our first broadcast, and here we are. 18 years later. I think our first broadcast was more of a promo of broadcasts to come, but our first bona fide guest was Mike Davis, former basketball coach at Indiana University. Absolutely, and I think we need to plan for our 20th anniversary. That's right, and I'm all for that, and maybe we'll, we'll dial up Mike and, and get Mike in, or maybe you know, I always wanted Barack, some guy named Barack Obama to come on the show. Oh. I don't know. My heart wouldn't. My heart would pound so loud you could hear it. Or maybe we'll settle for Michelle Obama. Anyway, <laughs> it's fun drive time at the station, and it's uh, for these reasons and more. Uh, for 18 years, uh, we've been bringing you what we have hoped has has been information of merit and and inspiring information, challenging information on what's going on in the African American community, starting here from South Central Indiana. And going abroad. I mean, we have had the wonderful opportunity to interview guests locally, internationally, um, notable individuals, as well as the common person uh, to get their thoughts and opinions on things. And we, we hope that over that time you've come to um, enjoy Bring It On and, and have always sought to tune in at 6 o'clock on every Monday evening. Um, on occasion, we'll play archive shows, but we hope even those archive shows have uh, brought you information, challenging, stimulating information. We are, as I said, back in the station, COVID did some interesting things to our nation, as we all know it. It had us uh, sequester and, and such phrases as socially distance. I had never heard of socially distance until COVID, but it had us doing some things out of the ordinary. And even here at the station, we bring it on. Uh, we could not, of course, invite guests to the station. The station was wisely exercising protocols to keep us all safe. But now, by degree, we are beginning to come back into the station. Uh, but during that time, we, we discovered new technologies, and uh, we discovered that Zoom, uh, if used properly, could do some wonderful things for us. Uh, one always the best audio. Uh, there was sometimes some some breaking up of some audio or freezing, if you will, but nevertheless, it served a purpose. And it still does because we were able to even talk to more interesting guests so they didn't have to get on the phone or travel down to Bloomington to have a conversation with us. I say all that to say it's time now to show your appreciation to WFHB, which is the platform by which we broadcast this show, and then also to bring it on. And we hope that, again, it's been a, a service to you and a benefit to you originating here in Bloomington, Indiana, and Monroe County in South Central Indiana. Liz, what do you think about all that? (laughs) I think it's been a wonderful experience for all of us, and I hope so for the community as well. It definitely has been a wonderful experience for me and a labor of love and an opportunity for me to do some community work and to give back to my adopted hometown, Bloomington, Indiana, which I absolutely love. And same here. I'm uh, My hometown is Gary, Indiana, but uh, the majority of my life now, far, I'm, I've exceeded the more than the halfway point 
of living in Bloomington versus living in Gary, but uh, I have sunk my roots deep in and raising a family and enjoying it. Liz, as I came in, I couldn't help. I looked at the wall and I saw some plaques, some with your name on it, uh, recognizing you as uh, an award winner uh, in the area of uh, news, radio news. And, of course, that is the case. She is the producer of our Dark Past, Bright Future, which is in itself an award-winning segment here on Bringing On. And for that, we are extremely, extremely grateful to have her with us on our team. Um, and tonight, we're going to showcase that. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that, that Liz did some interesting things. She made a presentation. Now, now, first of all, if you know Liz, you know that she loves history. She's an historian. And is probably just as gifted and talented as any historian that went to school to get a degree in that area. It comes naturally for her. And uh, she loves to talk about history. She loves to chronicle. She loves to uh, work for worthwhile causes to enhance and recognize history. Well, she made a presentation uh, on September the 6th at the Bloomington Rotary Club. And uh, she talked about uh, notable and historic figures within the African-American community in Monroe County. And she went way back. And she has chronicled an interesting array of uh, of just characters that she profiled. Now, does she encompass all these conversations for all of these individuals? No, there's some out there that she did not talk about. But Liz, as we are beginning, as we are about to hear this recording... Why don't you set it up for us and tell us uh, all that we're about to hear. Well, I was asked to speak um, to the Rotary Club about African-American history in Monroe County, which I was thrilled to do anytime I get the opportunity to uh, uh, talk about African-American history. I, I'm just more than happy to do that. And the, the people that I chose are different people that n- you don't hear about. Uh, As part of Resilience Productions, we had decided that we would talk about the unknown or the little known. And so that's what I tried to do in that particular PowerPoint presentation. I started off by saying, and I will say that as you listen to it this evening, please keep in mind, it's really not African-American history. It's our shared history. It's our history. And so... I like to get away from uh, putting everything in, into a box. I was really thrilled that I was asked to talk uh, this month because it's not the month of February. And that makes me happy that <laughs> we're, we're thought of other than the month of February. That just brought a big smile to my face. So just keep in mind that it's our shared history, and I hope you learned something from uh, this evening. And I'm chuckling, and Liz and I are chuckling. It's an inside joke with not just us two, but with a lot of people that February is the shortest month and the coldest month sometimes. But nevertheless, uh, with that lead up, let's listen to Liz's presentation on notable and historical African-Americans in Monroe County. And we'll be right back um, during segments within this presentation to talk about what we've heard. It's been two. Beyond the sky, it's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. Beginning in 1881, Monroe County has maintained an African American community, starting with William Cooley and Aaron Wallace. Both were listed as colored men who had purchased land at a public land sale in Bloomington Township. In spite of legal barriers, discrimination, being barred from voting, encouraged to leave Indiana, African Americans came to Monroe County anyway. The sentiments of settlers in Monroe County varied. There were those who were pro-slavery, all for the institution of slavery. There were those who were anti-slavery, 
very much against slavery. They could have been Quakers or the Covenanters from the Reformed Presbyterian Church. There was a colonization society. They began a full-scale effort to rid the country of Blacks. In Indiana, they existed from 1816 to 1964. Their goal was to send all Blacks back to Africa, and Monroe County had a chapter. Then there were those people who were just plain apathetic. They just didn't care one way or another. There is a map of safe houses in Bloomington. And of course, the map doesn't include locations of the African-American stations. And indeed, there were African-American safe houses in Monroe County. Monroe County was blessed to have numerous conductors, both black and white, working together on the Underground Railroad. The 1850 Fugitive Slave Act made slave hunting a lucrative business in Monroe County and beyond. During the entire slave hunting period, William and Jeff Kersall, along with Cornelius Marchand, were well-known slave hunters in this area. And later on, Isaac and James Atkins became involved. Robert Anderson, born a slave in Trimble County, Kentucky, just across the Ohio River from Madison, Indiana, his biological father was also his slave master and had traded him for a $50 wagon when he was a boy. As a teenager, he was sold for $500. He remembered this because it was his birthday and he watched as the money was counted in front of him. At the end of the Civil War, he made his way to Bloomington, becoming one of the first African-American settlers in Monroe County. He worked for the Reformed Presbyterian Church, tending the Covenanter Cemetery. Eventually, he bought the piece of land just north and next to the cemetery. This property is still owned by the family today. Robert Anderson is the great-great-grandfather of Jerry Jeffries, pro basketball player born and raised in Bloomington. If I could go back in time and choose an African-American woman to meet, it would be Maddie Jacobs Fuller. There's so much to be said about Maddie, but a few things are important to remember. She bought the lot and paid for the foundation to establish Bethel AME Church on the corner of 7th and Rogers Street by playing a small folding organ and singing gospel songs on the courthouse square. She raised over $13,000. As a child, she was bound out, which meant she had to work for food and a place to stay. She grew up to become the wealthiest well, that's interesting. Um, I know we're going to talk about Maddie Fuller, but um, Robert Anderson, um, his origins, he was not born in Monroe County. No. But was now liberated from slavery. Yes. And journeyed north and settled in Monroe County. Yes. Um, and I know you did not talk at great length about him because you had other people, of course, to talk about. But, yes. Uh, tell us a little bit more. Fill in some gaps for us. Well, on, on his way to Monroe County, he stayed a little bit down near uh, Evansville mm-hmm. area. And maybe um, a year or less than a year, he lived in that area. And then eventually made his way to Monroe County. Uh, the Covenanters were extremely helpful to him. He was employed by them, and he stayed here and raised his family, married, and had a family, and they are still here today. A lot of family members are here. His, um, I interviewed his granddaughter, 
who is the grandmother of Jerry Jeffries. And um, it, it was interesting talking to her about her grandfather and how they always lived out on the east end of town, going toward Nashville, Indiana. And so the the city African-American community thought of them as being out in the country, which I guess years ago that was part of the country. Uh, and uh, they went to uh, schools in Nashville, Indiana. But Robert Anderson himself was... Uh, a really calm, gentle gentleman. Um, that's what he did. He farmed, and he bought that property there, which if you go knock on the door today, you would think <clears throat> just by looking that there was a white family lived there, the mulattoes. And, of course, Bob Anderson himself being um, the son of a slave master, his own owner. Um, I can't imagine years later what you think about that, that, to learn that, that the slave master was your father and that he traded you for a $50 wagon. And then later on in life, as a teenager, your second owner sells you for $500 and that money's counted in front of you on your birthday. So if you go to the Monroe County History Center, in his actual words there, uh, he was interviewed, I think it was the WPA, that had writers come through Bloomington as well, and you could actually read his story in his own words. You know, that, that, that's fascinating on so many different levels. One, um, you and I have done some joint research on a lady in uh, Kentucky. Yes. Who not only um, through an association with her slave master was able to purchase her freedom, but that master, <clears throat> I don't know if he felt benevolent or guilty or whatever, left her with a large plot of land that she was able to parlay into a very successful and thriving lifestyle. Uh, and she helped liberate other slaves in that she purchased them. And that in itself blew our minds, but we talked to descendants and they meet regularly. Um, but now you hear this gentleman and all that he did and sort of being that pioneer and paving the way. There's so many hidden jewels, stories it's, out there. Yeah, especially in Bloomington. And to come here and what you go through, um, and if you listen to the first part of my presentation, it's not that everybody here in Bloomington was warm and welcoming. Mm -hmm. They were not. You had people that did not want you here in Monroe County, did not want you in America. The colonization size society wanted all African Americans in the country to go back to Africa. But, but even by the end of the Civil War, you had mulattoes that had white skin, blonde hair, and blue eyes. But according to Thomas Jefferson's formula, you were black because of the one-drop rule. So then you get to the point, who all goes back? by that time. So it just didn't make sense mm -hmm. to try to send African Americans back when you had so many that had um, passed or crossed over and to the other side to have a better life. And then of course the labor that was provided, discount labor, that built much of America. And Michelle Obama, when, when speaking of her time in the White House, she said, well, just imagine my ancestors helped build this place. Yeah, and that got her in trouble for telling the yeah, truth. Yeah, but yeah. It, it, the it truth was, must hurt because that was the truth. But it was good trouble. Yeah, and and I I like that. Yeah, it was get good into trouble. good trouble because yeah. John Lewis said that. John Lewis reminded <laughs> us that good trouble is not all bad trouble. Um, now you're listening to Bring It On here uh, at the wonderful confines of WFHB our radio station, and. Uh, Liz and I have history here. We we go back um, 18 years at least for this broadcast, but, but actually I'll go back much further in that I had a, a program that I broadcast here called Sounds of Inspiration on Sundays where it was gospel music, and I enjoyed that immensely. And um, it was because of the vision of, at the time, general managers like Orion Bruce and Chad Carruthers that we ventured off into another area uh, of black public affairs. So it, it's... I really owe a lot to the station 
for, um, in some ways, taking a risk because what other st station in Bloomington is doing this? Or what other station in South Central Indiana, if not for Indiana, is doing this? So I, I owe a lot to WFHB, and I hope those that listen and enjoy our show will support the station. Now is your chance. Pick up that dial, uh, that phone and dial, 812-322-1200. Or you can give online safely and securely at wfhb.org. Make your donation today. And we'll talk about premiums that you can enjoy in the next segment. But for right now, let's get back to more information uh, from Liz's presentation. By being a beautician for the prominent and high society white women, not only in Bloomington, but at Bethany Park, located just north of Martinsville, Indiana. If Maddie were here today with you, she would tell you without batting an eye, if folks come to my beauty shop, I'd fix them up real pretty. And for those of them that don't want to come to me, I'd go to them. Either way, when I get done with you, you're going to look real good. Maddie became so popular that everything she did was mentioned in the column of the local newspaper called Among the Colored People. That column ran from 1855 to 1940. It described Maddie as being the first colored woman in Monroe County to own a telephone. And it also talked about Maddie Jacobs Fuller as having an addition constructed to her hairdressing parlor on West Fifth Street. The shop will have a plate glass front and a complete equipment and stock of toilet articles, including a completion of Mrs. Fuller. She's going to have a grand opening. Again, that's Mrs. Maddie Jacobs Fuller, the wealthiest African-American woman at one time in Monroe County. By the year 1924, the Klan had reached its peak in Indiana, averaging 2,000 new members per week and continued to grow. And yes, that growth included Monroe County. Whether they were burning crosses in the middle of the night or marching in white hooded robes by the middle of the day, their presence was meant to arouse fear within their targeted groups. The Klan did march in Bloomington on August 1st, 1925. They marched up Roger Street to the corner of 8th Street and through the front doors of Second Baptist Church. I remember hearing them before I ever saw them. Each footstep was so deliberate, marching in unison. When they burst through the church's doors, they were in a line, single file. There had to have been at least 30 of them, all marching with their hoods on. I don't know why they were wearing those hoods. We all knew who they were. Now, now don't get me wrong. Now, get me wrong. Just because we know who you are, don't mean you ain't that dangerous. Uh, the Klan is still the Klan. Racial discrimination had a strong hold in Monroe County, just as it did in the rest of the country. Jim Crow segregation existed, especially in housing. I went into H&H Realtry, located in town, and uh, told him the house I saw that had his sign in the front yard. And he flat told me that I could not purchase that house. I couldn't even see it, alone purchase it. And in fact, he said, I have absolutely nothing a colored person can buy. Racial discrimination existed in employment. And uh, it was pretty hard to find a job and a decent job for blacks. We could only find janitor jobs and porters. 
and detail car detailing, anything that the white man didn't want well, that we had. But a change was going to come. I done told you I ain't gonna move. I done told you I ain't gonna In the struggle for civil rights in the 1960s through the 1990s, Reverend Ernest Butler was perhaps the most loved, feared, respected, divisive, and unifying man in Bloomington. This is his story and ours. A rebel with the cause. Wow, that was uh, quite a segment, especially uh, I'm sitting here and visualizing the Klan marching through Bloomington, number one, and then Rob Watt marching up the steps of Second Baptist Church and through the front door. Yeah. Fully dressed. Fully and, dressed. Yeah. And their regalia. Yes. Now, the thing that was interesting about that, and I have interviewed several of the citizens, African-American citizens here, that were children at that time. And I asked, were you afraid? Were your parents afraid? And they said, no. They knew every man that was underneath the hood. During those days, you didn't have 100 pair of shoes. You probably didn't even have five pair. You had your work shoes and your Sunday shoes. And they looked at the shoes, and they knew who they were by their shoes, or they knew by the way they walked. You have to think about it. These were all white businessmen, primarily located in around the square. Bankers and theater owners and such. And these, the community, African-American community, worked for these guys and saw them on a regular basis and were paying attention. Now, the dominant race did not pay attention to the minority race, didn't have a clue. But the minorities here, they knew. You, you had to know in order for your protection, in order to be safe. And, and here you were working for these people every day. You were around them every day. And so, and, and like it, it depicted, by the way, that was a segment I pulled from our play, Resilience Productions play, uh, Stories of Monroe. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that came from as I, Gladys and I were writing it up, is that uh, the African-Americans knew who all the Klan members were, if, if not by their shoes, by the way they walked. If their hands were exposed, that was another clue. So they weren't afraid. You know, again, that's fascinating. Um, you shared with me before that there were slave hunters in Monroe County. Definitely. And But yet the Underground Railroad had stops through Monroe County. Absolutely. And what the community fails to tell is that there were black folks saving black folks. Mm-hmm. There were black conductors on the Underground Railroad. Along with white. Along with white. Mm-hmm. They worked together, and we were blessed to have that. Mm-hmm. Down at Switchyard Park, Switchyard Park is part of the Underground Railroad. Samuel Gordon lived on that side where the park is. If you look across the road, across Rogers, and you'll see the electrical grid there, that's where a black female conductor, Auntie Myries, and her sister lived. If you came into town, the very first black barber to come to Bloomington was Nolly Baker. He was part of the Underground Railroad. He was a conductor. His son-in-law would bring up slaves from Salem, Indiana, and help them get to Samuel Gordon, and they would either go to Auntie Myers, up to Nolly Baker. If they didn't go that way, they would go to uh, B.J. Ferris, the Ferris house, and then over to the Smith house, and on out toward uh, west, I'm sorry, heading east, going up to Levi Coffin house. And it wasn't that there was one route Because then the slave hunters here, the Kersaw brothers and Cornelius Machan, they knew those routes too. So they would change up. And one of the routes was to go straight up through Martinsville to Mooresville to Mr. Kelso and on up to Lafayette, Indiana and up that way. That's fascinating. And that's a show all in itself. All of these segments are 
or, or shill all, all in themselves. I, um, in my mind, in my, I can see uh, all this playing out there. I think the, um, in the Monroe County um, Historical Society, is it the museum? M- M- Monroe County History Center. In the Monroe County History Center. The, are there a pair of manacles? I know that one of the homes here in one of the uh, sort of um, protected neighborhoods, they found a cellar that had a pair of manacles in that cellar. I have not seen those. I've seen the one that Dr. Mumford had. Mm-hmm. He because he and he collected uh memorabilia just as I did and he had a couple of sets of manacles. Um and and that's another show your memorabilia, your Jim Crow memorabilia. Uh that is that is quite a story for people to hear. Okay, so and again, I before we talk about the need to give to the station. I have to talk about, and I, and I wish we had some organ music right here, Among the Colored. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about this That was a very po- popular, you know, we're talking, it's predating Facebook and cell phones, but the black community was very well connected and, and everybody would know what was going on in the African American community. And most notably, Maddie Jacobs Fuller was mentioned almost every day. Uh, and if she would even travel and write back to say, this is what I'm doing. I'm sure everybody wants to know. She's kind of braggadocious. Uh-huh. And I'm sure everybody wants to know what I'm doing. So I'm having a good time where, you know, she would go to Bethany Park. She was asked to, you know, blacks today don't go to Martinsville. We bypass Martin, but not Maddie. Or of course, at that time, it was safe for her because it had the third highest black population in Indiana. So she would go there. She would do hair. She would play her organ and sing gospel songs. Very popular. All the money that she made playing that little folding organ and singing gospel songs. $13,000 that she made over a period of time on the courthouse square. Over $7,000 up at Bethany Park. Every penny she gave to Bethel AME. The money she made doing hair, she kept that for her livelihood. And she made a lot of money because whose hair was she working on? The showers women, Anna Rott, and all the women with privilege and means in Bloomington. She was their beautician. Now, I compare her, Clarence, to Madam C.J. Walker. Right. And they were contemporaries. They, they Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think that our Maddie Jacobs Fuller had a one-up on Madam C.J. Walker because I didn't he- ever hear of hers being able to sing or play. <laughs> so I always tell people our local Maddie Jacobs Fuller was Madam C.J. Walker and Marion Anderson rode in the one. Rolled in and we need to brag about that. <laughs> we had a twofer. <laughs> now, now, before we um, talk about Reverend Ernest Butler, who I had the privilege of knowing, and, and all those descriptors were true, and he was a man of God. He was a bold, inspiring individual who, talked, who spoke truth to power. He was tenacious. And, he was courageous. And we're going to talk, we're going to let Liz introduce him in this next segment, but... Um, before we do, you're listening to Bring It On here on WFHB radio station. Um, and we're, you're fortunate either you're listening in on 91.3 or 98.1 FM, or you can listen online. Um, we've arrived. There was a time we were at Radio Ridge years ago when I first started here. Radio Ridge was out there near the Harrodsburg exit. You went out there, and there was this yellow barricade that you climbed over. And you went into um, what had to be described as a, as a radio shack, literally. And the, the one creature comfort was that it had an outhouse right next to it. So if you, you know, <laughs> if nature called, then it was right there. But those times when it was cold and, and when I was playing gospel music out there, what kept us warm primarily was the uh, transmitter out there. Uh, it generated some warmth inside that building. And, and there even was a little mouse that was a friend of yours, and you always waved and talked. They had conversations with. Never mind. I'm going down another, another, <laughs> another track here. But uh, from humble beginnings, moving to Bloomington into what now is WFHB radio station on Fourth, and you pass it all the time. You see the decorative uh, signage. You also see Spot uh, when they roll Spot out. And right now, if you walk past the station, you'll hear Spot 
beaming radio broadcast. So take the time to show your appreciation for WFHB. Uh, pick up the phone and dial 812-323-1200 or give safely and securely online at WFHB.org. We have a song uh, as a transition song before we get to Reverend Butler's story. It's a, stall, a song that has a lot of meaning for me. Uh, it was by uh, a jazz artist of, of all things, Ronnie Laws. Uh, he wrote a song back in 1980 and, and performed it. It's called Every Generation. And for you, we play it now. And plant your seed in the early spring. Summer's gone away, winter's back again. Yeah. 
Timeless Sounds, Timeless Sounds. From 1980, that was Every Generation by Ronnie Laws, and that was the title cut from his album of the same name. And uh, I thought a very fitting song to play during during this particular show. Um, now we get to hear about a gentleman who, who I've always admired and, and looked up to, who hailed from this community, who one day we had a conversation with him, and he was telling us that he once played basketball, Liz, with Martin Luther King Jr., Oh, and and I now did in, not know that. in his words, he was driving to the hole and knocked Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. down to score the basket. <laughs> now, Dr. King didn't stay too upset with him, but <laughs> they were very close friends, and he was recalling uh, his times with him. But nevertheless, um, uh, give to the station's efforts, and we've been asking uh, through this whole hour, and we want you to pick up that phone once again and dial 812-323-1200 or give online at wfhb.org. And let's now hear a little bit more about Reverend Butler. Before we do that, I'd like to make a challenge to the listeners. I'm going to donate $50 this evening. Anybody that likes our show, uh, likes my show, uh, Dark Past, Bright Future, If you want to do it in memory of uh, Reverend Ernest Butler, that's fine. I challenge you to match my donation. As many people this evening hearing my voice. I'm Liz Mitchell. I'm donating $50, and I like some matches. Match my $50. Well, I'll match your $50 and see you at $25. Bloomington in 1959, there were no blacks employed at all in the school system. There was no blacks employed in any of the manufacturing places except on the line. What I did, however, was I went to the First Methodist Church, the First Presbyterian Church, the First Christian Church, and the First Baptist Church, and the Unitarian Universalist Church, and got those characters and sat down and talked with them told him they were responsible for the climate in Bloomington, and that something would have to be done to change the attitude and the atmosphere. The white community, and I think most of us, you know, were, were, were happy with the, with the humble African-American who asked for their rights so we could feel very, uh, very good about helping them get them. Uh, Ernie wasn't asking us for help to get his rights, he was demanding them, and demanding them very vocally. Breaking the color barrier. James Snooky Hopkins, first African-American to be hired in 1965 as a fireman. He was not spoken to. Other firemen would not eat with him. They would not sleep in the bed he had slept in during the sleeping rotation. He received death threats. His wife received threatening phone calls saying that they would burn down his house. Yet he persevered until he retired in 1972, paving the way for others. 
As for me, my very first day at the post office, I was greeted with words that I won't repeat today. For one year, I had endured extreme acts of racism from a few men who had served in the military for the United States of America. It is important to remember that at this time, when the hiring of African Americans began, most employers only hired one African American, and that one had to be easily identified as Black. You see, we come in all shades, from eggplant to eggshell in skin color, from dark brown hair to blonde hair, and from dark brown eyes to blue or green eyes. Those of us hired called ourselves the onesies. However, I was an exception because there were two Black men hired at the post office before me. But I was the first and only Black woman for 35 years. I was probably a onesie longer than anyone else here in Bloomington. Jim Crow was covert in Bloomington. Signs being displayed in the storefront here were not really available. There was no need. One white individually and elderly gentleman had stated, we don't want anyone coming to Bloomington messing with our Negroes. We've got good ones here. They know yeah, how to act. Where we, we couldn't, where we couldn't go at. You couldn't go with Woolworths and set up at the front to eat. Uh, they, they, they wouldn't serve you. It just is, and it was embarrassing, you know, to be embarrassed. And I heard the N word many a time. I did. Public places were segregated. Uh, as I told my kids, they didn't have to go through what we had to go through. You know, uh, racism was here in Bloomington, and it was it was strong. And, uh, they they segregated, and uh, this town's got a lot to pay for. And to be ashamed for, we couldn't even swim in the pool down on Third Street there at the jukebox. But African Americans found a way to have fun, and that was at the B.J. Pollard Lodge, nicknamed the Hole. I have fond memories of the Hole. It was the place for dancing, singing, slapping cards, food, friends, and for me, I could get a reprieve from racism, let my guard down, and relax. Um, you know, you're beginning a conversation of the whole, and, and I'm very familiar with that place. And I think I shared with you, Liz, that my parents were very familiar with that place. They both attended Indiana University. Mm -hmm. And uh, they told me that they used to, to uh, socialize at the whole. It was the only place, it was the only place. to go. Um, you know, a lot of memories. And now, of course, the ownership has changed hands. But uh, there was a time, as you said, where could blacks go? And that was one of the gathering places, not just for socializing, but for meetings. Uh, uh, meals were served there, and on and on and on. Now, networking went on there, and the like. And, of course, it was uh, the B.G. Pollard uh, Lounge, yes. uh, if you will. So there was a fraternal order that, that uh, was housed there. And, of course, that inspiring story of Reverend Butler, that's another two or three shows right there, but we don't have time. And, again, uh, I mentioned this at the beginning, because of time constraints, you had to omit some stories. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and just give a snapshot of the people that I did include, and, and that's Reverend Butler. Uh, we, of course, you can do, we could talk about Reverend Butler all day. Mm -hmm. But when he came here in 59, he could not believe the situation for the African-American community. Right. Like Mr. Ronnie Bland had said, you could get a job as a janitor. Women can get a job as domestic help, cleaning up houses mm -hmm. or cooking for somebody. Mm -hmm. But to actually have a job like to become the first fireman like Snooky, that was based on Reverend Butler's efforts going to all the churches, telling the ministers, you're responsible for the climate of Bloomington, and we need to change that. And then you had a courageous mayor at that time, John Hooker, 
and he was told that his political career would be over, and it was. So uh, Charles Brown became the first police officer. Uh, James Hopkins became the first fireman. And when you're the first, you know what you're going through. Right. I don't have to explain that to anybody. They know. And in the school system, who was first uh, there? Ice, I believe that was her. Was that Laverta Terry? Laverta Terry. Yes, uh, and and uh, she had stories. Children brought up to the tree. You know, they come to school with that mindset that she was less than. Mm -hmm. And her impact, I have no doubt, uh, helped change hearts and minds. And it takes oh, absolutely bold individuals, individuals who. Um, against all types of forces and oppression would speak truth. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I can't I can't imagine what uh, what they went through. I interviewed uh, on Friday this past Friday, James Hopkins' daughter, who was seven years old at the time that he was hired in as a fireman, and she said the family was threatened. How, as an adult, can you threaten someone who's seven years old? And then I thought about Ruby Bridges. Right. Five years old, right. that's a baby. Right. And the grown people threatening and screaming at a baby. Uh, I wonder how they felt about that years later when we bring up the history and the photos of her. Mm -hmm. how, do, how do they feel about that, being on the wrong side, mm -hmm. screaming at a baby? So I'm thinking of, of the Hopkins family and what they went through. And she said it, it took uh, a couple of years for me on my job in about a year, right. it, it had gotten much better. But for them, a couple of years, and that's why I'm trying to get a fire station named after Mr. Hopkins, because of what he went through and how he paved the way for others. Right. I'm grateful to him and all those that are before me. Well, I, I tell you, um, you know, I'm, I'm really delighted at the progress that's been made because I look around, we have now a deputy mayor who's African-American. Yes. We have numerous individuals on the council uh, who've served in different capacities who are African-American. Um, we have people who are in county government and in city government who are African-American. And uh, your husband himself, he's a trailblazer, both with the state, Indiana State Police yes. and with the Bloomington Police Department. Yes. So when you talk about onesies or twosies, <laughs> there, yeah. there's a lot to boast about. But, and, and again, this is not the sum total of all the stories. We don't have the time. And speaking of time, we have one more segment. But we want to stop and just say uh, we want to thank um, a caller who called in, who donated. And uh, I'll just give his name. He's been a supporter of Bringing On Forever, William Morris. Oh, William, brother William. William. We, we, we love you. We thank you. And Thank you. We have a final segment we're going to play, and so in, in the interest of time, we'll go ahead and get to that right now. Everybody from the city and IU black folks, the town and the gown came together on the weekends to the hole for food and to unwind, especially from those well-meaning white folks who would say, you don't act like the rest of them. The hole had the best soul food, fried chicken, fried fish, chitlins, cold slaw, candied yams, black eyed peas, potato salad, and desserts like lemon pound cakes, peach cobblers, banana puddings. Holiday parties where everyone came dressed up. The place would be packed, and it seemed like back then everyone had a cigarette dangling between their lips. I miss the whole. I miss the sounds of the soul music intermingled with laughter and the teasing that goes along with playing a rousting game of cards. Ah, B.J. Pollard Lodge, the whole. A lot of good memories. It's gone, but it's not forgotten. You probably wonder how we got through those days. Well, it was the churches, the pillars of the African-American community. It could have been Second Baptist Church, or it could have been Bethel A.M.E. Church. It was our faith in God that held us together. The churches 
whether it was Second Baptist or Bethel AME, gave us an unshakable foundation that exists today. Because they didn't rival each other. They coexisted and assisted each other. Starting way back in 1870, when Bethel AME was established, and 1872, when Second Baptist was established. I say that these two churches are the crown jewels of Bloomington. Now, if I could go back in time and meet one African-American man, that man would be Dr. Ezra Alexander. Because he was a student at Indiana University, and while there, he was forced with the challenge of learning while sitting out in the hallway, rather than being allowed to sit inside the classroom because of the color of his skin. But that didn't prevent him from earning his degrees. He was tenacious, steadfast, and courageous because he earned his Bachelor of Arts degree by 1917, and he earned his M.D. in 1919. He practiced medicine for nearly 50 years. He served in the Army Medical Corps during World War I. He served as a medical examiner during World War II. Dr. Ezra Alexander, mm, my hero. But, you know, you can't make a person like you. I mean, if they don't like you, they don't like you, you know. But if you don't like me, have a reason to don't like me. One thing, not because I'm black, you know. I, do, I, I resent that. If I've done something to you, killed somebody in your family, or done something that is out of the order, then it, that gives you a reason, maybe. But they say all blacks are alike. We're not. We're not. We're different, all of us. We've come a long way. I've moved into this community in 1979. I've seen many changes, some good, some not so good. But we are all continuing to look at where we were and now where we need to go. By working together, we are building a more desirable community, a community that is welcoming and inclusive, a community that recognizes the value of diversity. What an appropriate song to end on, Rise Up. And uh, we just want to thank our dark past, bright future producer, Liz Mitchell, for that in-depth presentation on notable and historical African-Americans of Monroe County. This presentation was recently made to the Bloomington Rotary Club on September 6th. And Liz, you did a tremendous job. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is Bring It On at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. Again, the email address is Bring It On at wfhb.org. Bring It On's executive producer is George Trilly. Tonight's assistant producer is Liz Mitchell, and also producer of Dark Past, Bright Future. And show consultant, WFHB News Department Director, and tonight's engineer is Kate Young, who's sitting right between us. And our normal program engineer is Chantal LaFontaine. Original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Spoon. And before I sign off, just want to thank our two donors, uh, along with Liz and, and um, myself, um, Brother William Morris and Marsha Cummins, thank you so much for your support tonight. Yeah, thank you, Marsha. That's my traveling buddy. <laughs> I'm Liz Mitchell. Be sure 
to support Bring It On at WFHB during this fall fun drive. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.